Wednesday, January 25th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and what a wild Tuesday night of college basketball. Number one, Villanova lost at Marquette. Number two, Kansas lost at West Virginia. Number four, Kentucky lost at Tennessee. I was in studio in New York talking about it all night uh, on the CBS Sports Network. Matt Norlander was at home writing about it all night. He filed a column late last night. On the night that was in this sport, and among the things he wrote, if you don't mind, Norlander, I want to quote you here. Can I quote your column? Always. Okay. Here's what you wrote. I love nights like this. Yeah, we get upsets regularly, and number one teams drift in and out of every season, but this set up perfectly for chaos, and still, nobody saw all of it coming. End quote. And how in the world could you write that with a straight face? Were you not listening to this podcast, the one we recorded on Sunday night, where I picked Villanova and Kansas both to lose? And then, ah, but you did not pick Tennessee. And then told you to keep an eye on Kentucky, too. I spent five minutes <laughs> explaining that I wouldn't be surprised if all three lost. And then you're going to write nobody saw it coming? You did not say Tennessee's going to beat Kentucky. You don't get credit. You don't. You get out of you my didn't. face with that. You, I Listen, you went straight up with Marquette, and I'm going to give you straight credit for that, but you did not, did not pick Tennessee. So you can't take credit for the Here's whole thing. What, let me quote you again. Here's what you wrote. Nobody saw all of it coming. I saw all of it coming. I didn't tell you. Did you did not. You're keeping, it, keeping an eye. Keep, hey, keep an eye on this game. Something might happen. That's not. No, 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 no. What I Sorry. actually said was Marquette's going to lose. Marquette beats Villanova straight up. And then I told you West Virginia handles Kansas straight up. And I said, and Kentucky, which is third in the top 25 and one right now, at the time they were, I said, they're at Tennessee. And what you need to understand is that, yes, Tennessee is uh, not very good. Kentucky seems to be very good. Kentucky probably going to be about a 10-point favorite. But last two true road games in the SEC, single-digit win for Kentucky at Vandy, single-digit win for Kentucky at Mississippi State, so watch this one, Norlander. I won't be surprised if Kentucky goes down two. Okay, so I saw it coming. You at least, oh yeah, you saw it coming. So uh, we both predicted on the podcast that Kentucky's only going to lose once in the SEC. So we, you got to stick with that, man. If you saw this one coming, they're going to run the table the rest of the way, right? They could, but you know what? They are right now. Three but keep and, an eye on that, right? They're three and three against the top fifty. Kentucky is. That's not good, is it? Three and three against Kim Palm's top fifty. It's not good, and we were also talking about the Tennessee game with the wonder if Fox would play because he was day-to-day. We thought probably, but there was no guarantee until you know just a couple hours before game time that he would play because he had tweaked his ankle. He ended up being fine, but that was the most surprise. It was you know it was the closest game from from tip to final horn because Nova blew a 17-point lead, and we'll get to that. And um, West Virginia just, you know, it, it owns Kansas when the game is in Morgantown. Uh, but for Kentucky to have lost to Tennessee, I, I just did not, I didn't think that was on, on the table, especially when Fox was going to play. And credit to Rick Barnes for getting a good win. Credit to me for predicting all of this. No shot. Absolutely no shot. <laughs> no shot. Listen, for for the SEC... 
I don't, you know, I'm not, I won't play it both ways. I won't try and say that the league's been down and this is like totally awful. I will give some credit here to Tennessee for getting the win because you know what? That's a program still trying to find what it is under Barnes in his second year and all that. Uh, for Kentucky, it is a it is a damaging loss. And now, see what what I thought last night was was good for college hoops was just because you know sometimes to have this kind of upheaval, I think, is just you know it gets us talking. It's good. It's good for the sport. Some surprises are certainly good. And now it it happens in a week parish where Kansas and Kentucky lose on the same night, and they got to play each other next. And right. Kansas has got to go to Kentucky. So. You can't definitively say that that game will um, decide the fate of either teams chasing a one seed because I, I can't say that for certain. Because if Kentucky lost to Kansas but then ran the table and didn't lose again, it would probably be in the conversation for a one seed come Selection Sunday. But it certainly does take on uh, a lot of meaning. And of course, I know people have read this, but it is wild that the last time the number one, two, and four team, those exact three, lost on the same day was actually 79. Three of the top four teams lost five years ago, uh, but that exact order, one, two, and four, has only happened three times ever, and the last time was in 79. So just a, just a wild night. I, I, I don't have too much concern for Kentucky, if we want to stay on that for a quick second, you want to respond, GP. Um, just they got, they got caught, and they were down big, and they, and they couldn't quite rally. So if Calipari wants to use this as a learning uh, experience, maybe there is something to that. But, but certainly I think this reinforced that we might have thought there was going to be a separate tier of three, four, five elite teams. And I don't know necessarily know that that's going to be the case. It might be, but right now I can't say that. I would argue that I come out of last night more concerned with Kentucky than uh, Kansas or Villanova. Now, keep in mind, I still have all three of those teams in the top ten. I think they're all good. I think they could all end up in the Final Four. Um, nothing that any of them accomplish would surprise me. But... Uh, for Kentucky, it is a little bit of a, a continuation of a turbulent trend. They are, uh, like I said, 3-3 three and three against Kim Palm's top 50. They, in the games that they've lost, and even in some games that they've won, they've allowed their opponents to, uh, to shoot high uh, percentages from the field. Tennessee last night shot 47% uh, from the field. With Kansas, it was just like, you know, yeah, you lost in Morgantown. You usually do that. And then you go on to win the Big 12. Uh, you know, Baylor, as ranked number one in the country, lost in Morgantown, got blown out too. Uh, literally every team in the country would be expected to lose there. Doesn't mean everyone would, but they would all be underdogs playing in that building, whatever. And then with Villanova, a true road game against the Marquette teams that's probably better than the nation realizes. Um, and, it, and like it just sort of got away from them. Like Josh Hart was in foul trouble, and I'll be honest with you, I had a close eye on that game early because uh, I was uh, emotionally tied to it because of the prediction. And, and, and for the sake of the podcast, I, I, I was hoping it might go a certain way. But then we had to go out and do like a, a halftime uh, of uh, Wichita State game or either a field between games, something where we were just I – was, I was like talking on television and not focused on the game. And I come back and it's like, what? It's a three-point game now? What? Marquette's winning? So I missed most of the comeback. But, uh, you know, you could probably play that game again from certain points ten times and, and Villanova would win it nine or ten times out of the group. It was just – that seemed like one that just slipped away. I'm not concerned about Villanova long-term. Uh, Kansas troubling – you know, they, they're not very good defensively, and that was on display again last night. But, you know, ultimately I think they'll be fine. The Kentucky one is a – is a little bit of a deal though, because you know the SEC's not 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 good, 
Um, Tennessee's not good. And not only did, did Kentucky lose that game last night, they trailed pretty significantly for most of it. It wasn't like Tennessee just made some wild run at the end. Like, Tennessee held on at the end. But Tennessee was, was in control of that game, basically, from start to finish. And... Uh, like I said, three and you know, the, three and three against the top fifty. So the the six games Kentucky's played against the six best opponents on its schedule to date, uh, they've they've lost just as many times as they've won. Yeah, that is that is certainly troubling. And if they lose the Kansas game, you'll see their you know their resume when it will stack up against other teams. I think will uh, will not shine that brightly. If they win, obviously it's it's huge, and we'll talk more about that as we head into uh, to Friday's podcast and lead up to the weekend. For Marquette, um, that was surreal to me because Villanova is not built to blow 17-point leads, even on the road. That Marquette run was tremendous. Uh, it was the first time Marquette had actually defeated Villanova since 2012, which is Fairly remarkable. Villanova already has two losses in league play GP. They have only had two losses in league play each of the past three seasons. So for them to match that mark, they're going to have to run the table in the Big East. Not quite so sure that's going to happen. I thought it was a good night for the Big East because now you get Marquette, who is definitively in the NCAA tournament picture at this point. They get the road win at Creighton, and then they are able to beat Villanova. And by the way, Josh Hart, for the most part, played really well. Um, this was more comeback than collapse in my opinion, but now, whereas Georgetown has slipped, Providence obviously hasn't been able to hang on, even though it had a nice little start, hasn't been able to hang on to the success it had from last year and no one thought it did. Uh, Seton Hall is here and there. The Big East was expected to get five teams in the tournament. I think that's a near lock at this point because I think either Marquette or Seton Hall will, will end up with that fifth bid and you'll have DePaul, Georgetown, St. John's and Providence miss out. I still think Xavier will get in with some room to spare as well. They have a huge game coming up against Cincinnati that would behoove them in their resume to win. Um, I was most captivated by Villanova Marquette, and I kept I was floating in and out. And then once they started to really make their push, I was I was locked in on that. I mean, it was it was a, a hell of a night, GP, um, because you also had Louisville beating Pittsburgh by a, a billion, million points, right? And like they hadn't lost like. It, whenever you get like it's the worst program loss in 80 years or 90 years or in this case 111 years and it was like the seventh most important thing that happened last night that was just weird and bizarre and pit fans have to be missing jamie dixon like hell right now and then you had you had michigan state purdue and it was a it was a vital game for state and like bridges and swanigan were freaking fantastic they were both so tremendous it was a good game and yet Michigan State didn't have a great chance winning it. Now they're in some some serious issues. And Swanigan kind of returned serve on Ethan Happ. Those two are kind of going back and forth. So last night, when you look at the the the, the three big teams going down, two of them upsets because Kansas was not favored. And then you see uh, the Big Ten race and, and Bridges having a career high. He set a freshman record for points in a game. Louisville doing what it did. Virginia, totally under the radar, goes into Notre Dame and, you know, just look out. Now we have Virginia Villanova coming up Sunday. I thought last night was pretty awesome and, and as stacked of a Tuesday night as you could ever ask for in January in college. Hoops. No, it was terrific. I mean, for all of the reasons you just stated. And Swanigan, 17th double-double. And it's not just like a, a 12-point, 10-rebound double-double. It's like 25 points, 17 rebounds or something crazy like that. Yes. Uh I almost, uh, I updated the player of the year rankings earlier today. I almost went with him number one. Like, why can Caleb Swanigan not win national player of the year? Like, like. No, no he can't. 
He can, GP. I mean, and the thing is, like, when you watch him, like, and it's not even like 25 and 17, and, you know, the 20 of those points are coming in the paint and five off free throws. Dude, he had like a Dirk Nowitzki step back jumper. He was burying threes. Him and Bridgers were kind of trading threes. He has been tremendous. And there are definitely people that think Hap has had a better overall year at this point. I, th- I would take Swan again right now. I do think it's pretty close. Wisconsin obviously is a game up on Purdue in the Big Ten standings. But, you know, I had a piece a few weeks ago on what Swanigan's done. It is in terms of his, his statistics to this point. He's continued that pace. He is a double-double machine. He's going to be the first person since Blake Griffin and only the second player since Tim Duncan to average, what is it, 17, 12, and 2 in a season. Uh, and both of those players, by the way, were number one overall picks. Swanigan won't have any chance of going number one. But for him to be doing this, and we can't overstate that he went into Brown last night and he knew it was on him because he verbally committed to Michigan State and walked that back within less than two weeks and then turned around and went to Purdue, and they gave it to him, and then he gave it right back to State and the fans. It was really impressive because Bridges did when – when Izzo decided to finally put Bridges on Swanigan, there was some success, but ultimately he was – I mean, he was eating him up. It was, it was a fantastic game to watch, but by the time 11.30 came, it was totally overlooked by um, Nova, Kansas, and Kentucky all losing. Yeah, our buddy Rob Doster from NBC Sports has been writing for a couple of weeks that he, he thinks it's a three-man race for National Player of the Year. Uh, Josh Hart, Frank Mason, and Lonzo Ball. And uh, that, like I think all three of them are uh, obviously in contention, but I would throw Swanigan on that list as well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't limit it to three. I would at least push it to four because uh, he's a statistical monster, and he's on a team that's – you know, I think Rick eleventh at Ken Palm right now has got a chance to win a Big Ten title. If he's on a Big Ten championship team and posting those kinds of numbers, he uh, he deserves to be uh, in play for National Player of the Year. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or the concert or show that you want to attend. And none of the older ticket sites, the ones that have been around for a while, they... They didn't seem interested in trying to fix that at all. Then SeatGeek comes along. It's different. They've created an amazing app and a website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. For you to buy and sell uh, tickets. First place I go when I'm going to buy tickets. First place Norlander goes when he's going to buy tickets. The first place you should go to because uh, they handle. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites. And that's going to ensure you get the best possible deal every single time. In other words, SeatGeek does the work. You save time and you save money. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you're going to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So get on it. Download the app, purchase tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and SeatGeek's going to send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So after last night's developments... I moved Gonzaga to number one in the CBS Sports Top 25 and 1. You okay with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Gonzaga will, listen, they're going to be number one on Monday because it would be a shock if they lost the rest of this week. They actually just, they turned around and they've got a rare, I think it was because of weather delays, but they, they beat Portland on Monday. Then they have a home game against San Diego. Then they play at Pepperdine on Saturday. Pepperdine's like, got four wins this season or something like that it would be more as 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 surprising as last night's trio 
of teams going down was, it would be 10 times more surprising if Gonzaga lost either of those games. So they're going to be 22-0 and come Monday morning, I would damn near expect. And they will be number one in the polls. And that's the move. I mean, there's no real argument against it. They are number one in Pomeroy. And they have gotten some wins against some quality competition. Dear God, Parrish, I don't get like... I don't get why people have this huge... I'm getting a lot of Wichita State feeling from a few years ago here with people trying to crap on Gonzaga for the league they play in and ignoring the fact that you know they do have some good wins, ignoring the fact that although rankings are a year-by-year, week-by-week thing, it's not like this program has come out of nowhere. I mean, they make the tournament every damn year, and because they haven't made a Final Four, people are now using this as means to denigrate their standing in the polls and say that they shouldn't be the number one team. The Arizona win continues to look uh, better and better by the day, beating Iowa State and Florida. Also quality teams. Hey, they beat Tennessee, which is more than what Kentucky can say right right now. So Gonzaga is a worthy number one. And it is, you know, it it only has really two games, I think, that uh, are potential pitfalls at BYU. And that comes on February 2nd. And then at St. Mary's about a little less than two weeks later. So there's no real argument against Gonzaga at number one. I don't even know how you could put anyone else right now at number one in the polls personally. It would be difficult to do. Uh, I think if Kentucky would have won last night, you would have had some arguments in favor of Kentucky. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, People say, well, Gonzaga hasn't played anybody. Gonzaga hasn't beaten anybody. I got As soon as I posted it this morning, I started getting replies on Twitter. Gonzaga's ranked number one based off of wins against who exactly? How about this? Gonzaga, four top 50 Kimpon wins. Kentucky only has three. Like, like Gonzaga has beaten more top 50 Kimpom teams than Kentucky, than Arizona, than UCLA. Like, if UCLA would have beaten Arizona this past weekend, everybody would be fine with UCLA being ranked number one in the country today. And I would be, too. UCLA doesn't have as many top 50 Kimpom wins as, as Gonzaga. Gonzaga's also got more than, than Duke. And several other so-called power conference schools. Like you said, they beat uh, the Tennessee team. Uh, that Kentucky just lost to. And no, that game wasn't in Knoxville, but it was in Nashville, still in the state of Tennessee, still a hostile environment. Um, You know, the computers like them. I'm never going to hold it against somebody that they play in the West Coast Conference or the Missouri Valley Conference or, you know, the Horizon League or anywhere, as long as they schedule aggressively out of the league and then go and take care of business. And Gonzaga has done that in this particular year. And so I'm not going to sit here and promise you that they're going to be in the Final Four or win a national championship. But, you know, on January 25th, uh, 2017, if you are silly enough to have a job that requires you to rank basketball teams every morning, um, it's perfectly reasonable to have them uh, at number one. And I, at this point, I don't think they're – assuming I won't drop them without losing, I'm just going to assume they're going to be uh, number one in the top 25 and one uh, all the way through Selection Sunday because I don't think they're losing again. Uh, through Selection Sunday. And speaking of National Players of the Year candidates, uh, you know, Nigel Williams-Goss deserves to be on that list somewhere as well. He is, um, you know, the primary ball handler for this Gonzaga team that's undefeated. He's the biggest scorer for this Gonzaga team that's undefeated. Rebound numbers, also good, despite size. Uh, Assist numbers, also good. Uh, Started his career at Washington, has been an impactful transfer uh, one of the biggest transfers to ever play college basketball since, of course, Devin Downey went from Cincinnati to South Carolina. Shout out to Devin Downey. <laughs> Absolutely. I did think a couple weeks ago about Williams-Goss and 
you know, if he had never transferred from Washington, what would Washington be right now? Would Fultz have even gone to Washington if Williams Goss was still on the roster and, you know, kind of running point with them and how he, things did, would be different? But did, didn't he have to sit out a year? Wouldn't he already be graduated? Williams Goss? Yeah. Did he not sit no, out a year? Uh, he did. He did sit out a year, but like if he he wouldn't have graduated by now, so he would have still been on the roster this year. Like he's not. Yeah, no, he's he's a he, he'd still be on the roster this year. Okay. So he would have been a senior when Fultz is coming in as a freshman. So I was just thinking, like, if he had never left, and let's say like he didn't like have an, enough success at Washington to like validate going early to the pros or anything like that, you know, what would Washington be? What would Gonzaga be? You know, if they didn't have Williams Goss, would this be an undefeated team? I can't say that for sure because I think he – listen, they've got a lot of good talent, and, and Jordan Matthews has stepped in and been really good right off the bat. Jonathan Williams has been terrific, and he was a, you know, he was a really good player as a, as a recruit and went to Missouri and then transferred to Gonzaga. He's become really good. Karnowski's good. Zach Collins is a, is a fine freshman. But I'm not sure that Gonzaga would be undefeated without Williams Goss. So it's just, I was just thinking – kind of in my head, like how those two programs, Washington's obviously had plenty of struggles, don't get me wrong, but uh, but Williams Goss deciding to go to Gonzaga, I really think, you know, set Fuse program up to have success after losing, uh, you know, two guys who are faring pretty well in the pros. I mean, Wilcher has, you know, Wilcher and Sabonis, and Sabonis was, you know, I, I loved him as a prospect, but losing those kind of guys, there was no guarantee Gonzaga would be like this. No one thought Gonzaga was going to be undefeated. I expected Gonzaga to be maybe the best team in the West Coast Conference because I thought St. Mary's would be really good. And in our preseason poll, we had the Gales, I think, one spot ahead of the Bulldogs in the preseason. But now they're 20-0 and then a random stat that doesn't mean anything, but I did find it interesting nonetheless. The final unbeaten team in college basketball over the past 25 years only 10 of them previously have gotten to 20 and 0 and all 10 teams that got to 20 and 0 none of them won a title uh, but Memphis like almost won it Illinois lost to a tremendous Carolina team so there have been really good teams doesn't mean Gonzaga can't win a title doesn't mean you know that they will but I thought that was uh, pretty interesting that none of the previous final unbeaten teams to get to 20 and 0 Kentucky obviously lost in the Final Four of Wisconsin. So uh, so there you have it. Here's another thing I, I noticed a couple weeks ago, and I think I wrote about it somewhere or at least mentioned it somewhere. Um, Williams, Goss, Kronowski, Matthews, Zach Collins, Jonathan Williams. Top five scores at Gonzaga. None of them were on last year's team, were they? Uh, in terms – well, I mean, Kronowski was, but he yeah, was injured. He played six games. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that, wow. that, that's pretty amazing, right? I mean, your top five scores for a team that is going to be ranked number one in the country in the AP poll on Monday um, are all guys who weren't with you, basically. Like, I know Kronowski was on the team, but he was, you know, had back surgery. He was out. Yeah, he, uh, was, he was done early. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's got to be uh, that's got to be pretty rare. And it's just another, um, like, that's not easy to do, to mesh a bunch of new guys together, even if they are talented and even if they are older and, and yet Mark and... Uh, his staff at Gonzaga have done a, a, a tremendous job uh, with that. And uh, like I said, I, I knew when I ranked Gonzaga number one, I was going to get some pushback, but uh, that team deserves to be uh, where they're at. They've had an unbelievable season uh, to date. And I know we say this, or it feels like we say this every January, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's true basically every January. Like this is a team good enough to get to the final four. I know they've never done it, um, but you know, I've been a big believer in a, for a long time in this sport that if you keep assembling good teams and putting yourself in the tournament and just giving yourself an opportunity, 
just keep knocking on the door. Eventually, you, you know, it'll just it'll just break your way, and uh, maybe this will be the year that it it breaks Gonzaga's way. So yesterday morning, CBS announced. Uh, that it's going to have a bracket preview show on February 11th. They're going to bring the selection committee in, put them on television, and they will unveil the top four seeds in each region. Then our buddy Jerry Palm will fill out the rest of the bracket. Um, but it was a, a big announcement, and you immediately crapped all over it publicly. Are you insane? Like, do you realize CBS is in charge of your direct deposit, right? Well, here's the deal. So, so I was obviously uh, I've long been outspoken against the idea of the NCAA doing this. Um, so when it happens, I'm not going to suddenly double back and be like, you know what? On second thought, is it the end of the world? Of course it's not. But what I really, what I would not me, want to happen. Let me ask you a so. question, then you answer this. What in the world is the negative to it? Like name one thing that this adversely affects. The negative to it is that if you do it once, they might think it's good to do it four or five times. and. College basketball doesn't need to be college football, and it's a waste of time, and it doesn't really mean anything. A waste of time. And don't watch it. It's it can just take a away. Show. Yeah, and I and I and I don't I don't fully buy into this being something that's going to be worth the energy that it has tangible impact on the buzz around college basketball. Like it'll happen, whatever. It, it, it is what it is. This is sort of a test drive, but college football doing this. Having its chairman go out, you know, five, six, seven times a season, explain and update a bracket that doesn't mean anything, use reasons why the bracket is aligned the way that it is, and then only to have teams shift and change two, three, four weeks later, use different logic for why teams are in different spots, and then people hold that logic against them, and you'll kind of, you know, you'll double talk. You'll say, this, well, this is the reason this week, and this is the reason that week. You can get yourself into some unnecessary trouble there. Plus, a lot of the charm of college troops is that, you know, the bracketology business exists outside of the official capacity of the NCAA. It's people guessing what they would think the bracket would be at this kind of point so that when we finally get to Selection Sunday, it's this big grand reveal. Um, so I am romantic in that kind of way. But we'll see how it goes. Mark Hollis, no doubt, the Michigan State Athletic Director, who's the selection chair, is a really smart guy. He's aware of, of all this stuff. And... You're going to get the top 16 teams, so one through four seeds. I've heard people say it would be actually more interesting if you simply revealed, you know, the, the 9, 10, 11, 12 seeds, so the teams that are kind of closer to the bubble's edge that might produce some more drama and urgency. There might actually be something to that because the top 16 teams, you know, are going to be relatively safe. Um, but, yeah, this will be February 11th, I think before the Kentucky game on CBS. So I'm against it, but... It is what it is. They're they're gonna they're gonna do it, and uh, we'll see what the reaction or lack thereof is with it. And I'm definitely intrigued to see what Hollis says on February 11th, GP, and then if that lines up with what we have on Selection Sunday and his reason and logic therein for the uh, field of 68. The argument against rooted in the idea that it doesn't quote mean anything doesn't make sense to me because what does any of this stuff mean? What does Freshman of the Year weekly rankings mean, or the AP poll weekly mean, or uh, you know, like your list of the top five games of the weekend mean? Like, what does any of it mean? Well, that, that's that's not a hard question to answer because the bracket is an actual, like the Selection Sunday bracket is an actual championship bracket. And this is a, a quarter of that released a month before that will not have any sort of impact on 
what the final bracket is. And if anything, I worry that because they're going to release a bracket with the top four teams in each region, that they might try and use that as a starting point when they build the bracket as opposed to what they've always done when they meet up a week before they release the bracket and it's sort of a start from scratch kind of deal. Like I would hope that if they do this, when they do this, they're able to wipe the slate entirely clean and not say, okay, so when we last spoke, these were the one seeds, these were the two seeds, these were the three seeds, these were the four seeds. Let's go from there and work it like a poll because I don't think that's how you should seed and build a bracket. I never seen somebody so outraged by a thirty-minute television program. Does this seem like does this seem like outrage or a calm, logical argument? I, I, well, a calm argument, but illogical. Like it's like they're, all they're going to do on February eleventh is say, "Hey, if we were seeding the top uh, four teams in each region today, based on everything that's happened to this point, this is the way it would look." We'll see you again on Suction Sunday. Like, that's the show. What's the harm in that? It will create headlines for a niche sport that people who care about it often say they wish there were more of. It'll shine a light on college basketball that otherwise wouldn't be there. Somewhat to agree, yes, GP. But I, I, I disagree with this, this idea that releasing a bracket of 16 teams is going to have more legitimate widespread impact than if that same weekend produces you know three upsets in the top ten of the AP poll or something like that I still okay. think game results will be more what I found interesting was uh, and I took take this with a big grain well, of salt let me but, say this well game uh, results will all the okay. game results will be there or they won't be there whatever but this will create additional headlines and additional attention like that's undeniable it'll be on every website in America every every in every newspaper in America Listen, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And if it ends up being great, then by all means, let's let's keep doing it. I'm not going to object to that necessarily. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, ref- I reflexively resist to this a little bit. And by the way, that's OK. It's good for us to disagree occasionally on things. You know, it makes it a little more interesting and uh, keeps it honest. Give me credit for that uh, Kentucky, Tennessee outcome last night. I won't give you credit for that, but I will say that uh, that dude, this happened when we were recording the podcast is retiring at the end of the month like in literally a week he's calling his last game less than a week kentucky georgia i, I don't know if you have twitter up or not but it's like just bro it's kind of wild the kentucky georgia game next tuesday will be brent musburger's last game obviously a broadcasting legend obviously a legend for any general who likes to watch a game and listen for musburger's uh, uh <laughs> not so subtle references to the line and um, so shout out to Brent Musburger, who has been doing this for a very long time. And the college viewing experience on TV will not be the same because he has obviously been a fixture in college football and college basketball for a long time. And even before that, I mean, he did NFL on CBS, college basketball on CBS. Um, so, yeah, just kind of a Dude. kind of wild, kind Dude. of a bummer. But, yeah, this just broke. You know, the biggest sporting event he ever caught. I ooh, I got to believe that he's done a Super Bowl. Am I wrong? I don't know, but even if so. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Go. He, Go called, he called Rocky Balboa against Apollo Creed. Okay. He called Rocky Balboa oh. against Apollo Creed. Okay. Okay. I, I get the feeling that like 20% of the American population thinks that Rocky actually existed and wasn't a movie character. Don't, don't you get – I mean you realize Rocky wasn't real, I've, right? I've, I've made uh, this argument before. I the first Rocky film came out in 1977. That's the year I was born. 
and they have consistently come out throughout my lifetime, as recently as like last year or two years ago. Rocky has been a prominent figure in my life, my entire life. I know more about him than I know about some people that I actually call friends. I know I know what his wife was named. I know about his children. I know right, those aren't actually his children, but yes, go ahead. I, I know what his turtles were named. Like I don't know what your pets are named. I talk to you three times a week on a podcast. I have no idea what like you have a you have a what do you have? A cat? Get out of here. You have a Down dog? with cats. Cats are terrible. I got a dog. Shout out to Lana. She's amazing. Had no idea, but I know Cuff and Leak. I know what Rocky Turtle's name. Right? So I I feel like Rocky is I'm closer with Rocky Balboa than I am most of the humans I actually know. Oh man. I mean that hey, sincerely. It, I have to include this. I have to mention this on the podcast because this is amazing. I cannot believe this. Musburger is moving. <laughs> this is an actual sentence in the AP story on Musburger. Musburger will call his last game for ESPN on January 31st, a college basketball contest, pitting Kentucky against Georgia. Musburger, who is 77 years old, this is too amazing, plans to move to Las Vegas and help his family start a sports handicapping business. <laughs> At 77. Wow. Incredible. Uh, uh, well, shouts to Brent Musburger. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Terry Teagle. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care. <laughs>